Hello, everyone, and welcome to this free episode of It's TF. the free one. It sure <laughs> is. It sure is. It's uh, Riley, Milo, Alice, Hussein, and we are joined as ever. Yes, that's right. He's on every episode. He that's just right. doesn't say much. Uh, it's Jathan from This Machine Kills. Jathan, how's it going? It's going well. How are you guys? I'm, I'm happy to actually be on mic this time, you know, not just lurking in the background as usual. Always happy to be joined by the sixth host of Trash Future. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the fifth Beatle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A rarity, but a joy nonetheless. I'm, I'm just quite annoyed because I've just been killed by this machine. <laughs> yeah, oh, I hate it when that really, happens. It's really annoying. And um, boy, uh, you know what? I've been so shocked. I just got killed by, by this machine and boy, <laughs> are my arms tired. <laughs> I just got sucked off by this machine, and boy, is my dick tired. <laughs> oh, no. I, I am so shocked and appalled by the political developments of uh, the approximate last week, since you might have heard from us last, that I don't think I can even talk about the things that have shocked well, the and thing appalled is, me so we're, much. We're recording this in Liz Truss's second week of being Prime Minister, which means if you're listening to this in a radio you found in the blasted wastes, um... So, sorry about all of the everything. Um, remember to keep taking the iodine tablets and just. If you're listening you to know. this as a piece of environmental storytelling, brutal <laughs> through. The yeah, gr- greetings, of the greetings, far future museum attendees on the on the walking mm-hmm. tour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, this is uh, as a matter of fact. I'm going to like let you peek behind the curtain just now. And hey, what's that? It's the area behind the curtain. It's the TF studio where we're recording this. On Monday, September 5th, because a number of us are going to be on holiday, 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 next week. I've got yeah, mirrors on my shoes. I'm looking up Riley's curtain right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, you do not to say of what you see there. Uh, you, if, you see my, if you speak my true name, uh, then you'll be pulled into the uh, ninth dimension. Hmm. Stop upskirting the trash future curtain. <laughs> that's what you say. So... Uh, welcome, welcome, one and all. Uh, gather around, uh, ye children, uh, and because we're going to talk about something today that has really piqued. Uh, it's piqued my interest for a long time. Uh, it's something that I know Jathan to be interested in as well, and it really fits into one of our main themes, which is taking good old-fashioned predatory lending and then calling it something else, either to make it seem better, make it seem like a different product, or try to make it more creditworthy somehow. Because we're going to be talking about microfinance and fintech and development economics. I know it sounds boring, but my goodness, are there a lot of insane <laughs> chancers it, doing some wild things. I know it sounds boring, but my goodness, it also is that. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. We're going to take this dry subject yeah. and give it the TF Predatory treatment. financing. What if it was called Craig? <laughs> yeah, that's it's, right. a, it's a real shit. Like, this kind of culture that we're in where everything is like rebooted. I want like a new crazy form of finance. Everything has to be a fucking origin mm. story now. You know, we have to find out about how microfinancing started. Yeah. yeah this is yeah, like yeah. microfinance, but it's got like a cleaner sheen to it and like so for some reason Noah Centineo is involved. Uh yeah, this is like I I, I am looking forward to uh like consuming yet another like MCU thing. 
a gritty prequel with the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation <laughs> flipping a quarter and leaning against the wall in an alleyway that's just called interest. <laughs> I mean, this is why historical materialism is at once both always correct and the most dull of correct sciences. Because, I mean, just I, at this point a few weeks ago on TMK, we did an episode discussing uh, Noah Colwyn had a really great piece in The Baffler recently tying uh, all of the crypto scam economy directly to the same exact mechanisms of the savings and loan crisis of the 1980s. Like, it all looks exactly the same. I mean, as we'll talk about today, Hmm. right, like a lot of the microcredit stuff started in the 90s, kind of reached this apotheosis in like 2006 when the the founder of Muhammad Yunus got his Nobel Peace Prize for doing microcredit. And now... it's, it's, It's like Mark said, first is tragedy then as fast, then as fast again, and then fast, and still more fast. Exactly. But I, I was just gonna, I mean, like, the cycles of, of this shit repeating itself is growing shorter and shorter, though. It's like, all right, we have from the 80s with savings and loans to crypto. All right, at least we waited, like, 40 years. But now microcredit is reinventing itself and coming this is where the rubber really hits the road. Why this is actually like exciting and important is because it's it's coming to the imperial core. It's no longer just the colonial peripheries where we can be like, oh, this is something awful for those people down there. Now it's coming. Now it's in your life as well. Hmm. But before we get to all of that good stuff, I need to a- ask you all a question. There is a company out there that's called Seven Cups of Tea. And it is a tech company. Oh, no. I would like, Jathan, to start the guessing of what you think this is. Uh. <laughs> I'll give you a hint before you even start. It's anonymous and completely free. Um, oh, glory <laughs> Seven cups of tea. Is it? Is it some kind of sharing economy thing where like people can't afford to have their own tea bags in the UK anymore so now you have to like pass your used tea bag to your neighbor and then they pass it down to their neighbor <laughs> and so you're like reusing like seven t- or a tea bag for seven cups of tea mm. uh, weirdly how that would probably work in the UK is that houses at the start of the chain of tea would be worth quite a bit more than the ones at the end like <laughs> yeah, if you start yeah. at the left side of the terrace and go all the way down to the right You'd be paying a premium an for app your called tea bagging, and, and then and then the um the um, it would say a premium location premium location in er, in first third of tea bag of terrace, uh, but no, unfortunately, it's not that at this Who's stage saying? of like Liz trust economy, like that is basically what we're doing anyway. Okay, so I don't know what it is, but so seven cups of tea implies that there's going to be fourteen girls. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there we go. Landed it in. Uh, uh, you know what? I don't care what the startup is now. That's what, yeah, it, that's is what it is for real life. It's 14 yeah. girls. <laughs> Four, mm. 14 girls, seven cups. Uh, right. Doing like a Wayfair conspiracy theory about this website. This, that, this to me, this rings of mental health. I think... Yep. That oh no! Yeah, it's I, the tea thing. The tea thing is like the, the mental health. Because that's yeah, the on. ultimate form of like checking in on your blokes as you have a cup of tea with them and then they maybe don't kill themselves, right? So I figure that this is some cod science that they think that if you have like seven cups of tea with someone, it's going to like fix their mental health. So that's very close. 
Uh, the tea is actually a reference to a poem by a ninth-century Chinese poet about like talking to your blokes. Oh, okay. it started. <laughs> sorry, sorry, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, like yeah. ancient Chinese Prince Harry just sort of did me a little bit of psychic <laughs> violence for a second there. Inviting, inviting your blokes around for some dumplings, some manti. The, the sure. tea is actually a reference to testosterone. It's seven cups of testosterone for this effeminate country. It's tea tea in the drag vernacular, you know. Never interrupt your enemy while he's talking about his feelings. (laughs) Confucius would have Confucius would have loved Instagram slides and pastel colors. He would have loved Canva. Mm -hmm. So you're close enough that I'm going to carry on. Uh, Need someone to talk to? Our listeners are standing by. Oh no! It's like uh, oh, so it's like BetterHelp. What if? Yeah, or like Samaritans. The thing about BetterHelp, it's the Samaritans, but but like you know, an app. But you're talking to someone in the Philippines. Uh, Well, that you sort of prefigured a little bit of it. Uh, BetterHelp is one of the things they do. Is they do as as much as you know, credentialism is. We all know the problems of credentialism. BetterHelp still does have therapists. Seven Mm. cups of tea. Does, never, does not ha- ne- does not use the word therapist. No, of course not. It's vibes. The word it's vibes. Listeners. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I have like some insight into this because I've started like volunteering for the Samaritans. I'm not actually sure I'm allowed to like say too much, so I'm going to be very vague about it because I'm still like in training at the moment. But- Let's just say Hussein <laughs> works for the Foreign Office. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, that's great. No, like I, I I wanted to like sort of give back somehow, or, like to try to help people in these times. So, but. Part of the training, funnily enough, is you're not allowed to kind of say things like, oh, you know, do you kind of need to eat something or do you need to go make a cup of tea or stuff on the basis that like the assumption is that many people that will be calling Samaritans in the future will literally not be able to do that. Oh, that's great. Um, so that's like so that's like on the guidelines, like you are not allowed to like suggest they do these basic things that might kind of that's improve their really lives somewhat, that's which bleak. makes me. Yeah, it's really, really grim. And it's like one of the, like it's one of the least it's one of like the lesser bleak things on those guidelines. But what I was going to say was because this isn't Samaritans, because this is some sort of like um, tech oafishness, uh, is this a place where they do kind of say, uh, "Why don't you go make yourself a cup of tea if you're having like a breakdown?" Well, it's the the so here's the thing, right? The trained listeners, I, I've I've gone to Quora, I've I've done the Milo Edwards thing of of going to Quora. Mm-hmm. Whenever uh, you have a life problem, yeah. yeah. Why don't you just join the Marines then? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> which are much harder than the American Marines, by the way. Yeah, I, I, it, which, is a, which is a really weird answer to like, am I too old to learn how to play the guitar? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I went to Quora and they said that uh, a lot of the listeners seem to be more in it for themselves and just like turn around and like tell you that you're the problem. No, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Whenever, like, whenever, whenever people call me up in the Samaritans, I actually love telling them how much I've achieved in my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're like, they call you up in the Samaritans and you're just like, oh yeah, well I can run a 5k in 19 minutes. Um, so you're Not drinking a- poor guy water. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should jump in front of that train if you can find a moving one in Britain. Due, due to a horrible telephone mix-up, the numbers for the Samaritans and Andrew Tate's cell phone have been perfectly reversed. Aside. I love... No, I love no, no, the idea. Have you yeah. tried moving to Romania? God, I think the answer... On the one hand, many people have died. On the other, all of Andrew Tate's friends have learned a lot about themselves and are really thinking about like exploring new directions in their lives. Yeah. So, they say, We live in a world where you can be surrounded by people but still feel lonely, with nobody to turn to when things get rough. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But being heard is an important part of being human. And in 2013, psychologist Glenn Moriarty, <laughs> come on, come on, I love these names, Amazing. saw that there was great power in listening, but he knew not everyone had someone to talk to. and started to wonder, how can I make being heard a reality for everyone? Mm. So this is ableist because some people actually that- cannot listen. And so, you know, th- this is... <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, some people are distractible. Mm. Thanks to to thousands. Some people are actually men. So, (laughs) thanks to thousands of volunteer listeners stepping up to lend a friendly ear. Seven Cups is here to say we are here for you. Our goal. Nothing else. Just just that. Yeah, our team of fourteen women. (laughs) (laughs) We are living in a world with an immense love deficit. (laughs) Oh no! No! He's so right. The love GDP it goes up, but so does the love expenditure. You know. (laughs) I'd love to see. I was having a stroke while listening to the Black Eyed Peas. I very much came up with this. I'd very much like to see a kind of like right like nineteen nineties libertarian political cartoon where it's just like instead of the deficit, it's the love deficit. Yeah, we have to balance the budget. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The love budget. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all right. Which means that none of us is receiving the love we need to tr- truly reach our potential. Our goal is to build a support system that can hold every member of the world. We believe that we can fill the love gap for every person the in the world. Love w- gap? What? Mr. President, <laughs> we cannot allow a love gap to develop. Yeah. Uh, we're looking to fill your love gap. <laughs> that's what we're trying to we do. We cannot allow any love gap to go unfilled either because they are an active member of our community or because they are touched personally by someone who has been empowered by our community. Yeah, we want to touch people (laughs) personally and fill their love gap. Fill your love gap is like a Vonk B-side, I think. Yeah, that really is. (laughs) We will reach this goal when we provide 100 million positive and supportive conversations each and every week. Mm. Needless to say, I don't necessarily believe they did this. They reached their pinnacle in, I think, 2015 when they had 17,000 volunteer listeners Connecting with others. I'm amazed they've the been thing. running that long. Like, well, uh, yeah, they are. They still appear to be a going concern, although no one's really writing about them that much anymore. Mm. Uh, so, basically, the way it works is it's just it's it's like a chat room, right? Where you get put mostly in a group with other people, and then a volunteer kind of leads the discussion, so you can have group therapy. But the volunteer appears to have been trained by what? Again, I don't know this for sure. But I know it's short of like clinical training, and it seems to be like a video or a PowerPoint or some sessions. Hmm. They don't. I don't think they're 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 just sort of there leading. I mean, a if thing. it doesn't exist already, um, mark my words that in the very near future this will be reinvented, but as a AI chatbot, right? It'll be a large language model. It'll be GPT three powering your therapy. They already exist. I think there's like. I don't know whether we covered it on this show, but they've definitely they definitely do exist. Uh, I think we've covered in, more than one of them, even in in those like integrated setting. Like because I uh, there was some sort of company we were talking about it in relate. Again, I don't know whether we did this on the show or whether I was talking to someone like in a personal capacity about it. It all but, links like, together. But like part of their like mental health support that they got as part of their like private health package was oh if you're feeling overwhelmed you can use this service to like talk to an AI therapist who and the AI is sort of like designed or it. it Trained in like CBT or whatever. Um, so ba- balls <laughs> yeah, that's right. So basically, so basically, yeah, that does exist, and I think that is like used in actually like fairly established. Once again, you know how nothing. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Because that was the, one of the first early um, like uh, 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 sort of uh, language models 
was a an AI therapist. It was programmed in like the 70s. And all it did was just reframe the person's question back at yeah. them. <laughs> so you would say something like, I'm feeling depressed. What should I do? And it would say, tell me more about why you're feeling depressed. And it would yeah. be like, well, I'm ignored by my husband. Why do you think your husband ignores you? And so on. Because so, he's that too was busy like, listening to Andrew Tate. Yeah. <laughs> that was, you took the words out of my mouth, but now there's two people on this podcast who knows things about technology. And so tell me the name of it, Riley. Tell me its name. You don't know, do you? You don't know. I'm, I'm, I am uh, cutting you on TF right now. Yes, Alice, it was Eliza. God damn it, Alice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the two people, you and me. I was in the process yeah. of cutting Alice, Riley just... on his own podcast. <laughs> Never try and beat Alice at remembering things from the internet. That's, that's the lesson you've learned there, Jason. Yeah. It just, it, Jason was about to take over the show, but then Alice saved it was, me. Uh, yeah, 1966 at the MI, uh, MIT AI lab. It was the first ever chatbot. So everything, uh, once again is just cycles and it's a perfect replica of my therapist amazing <laughs> so this is from one 2015 interview with glenn moriarty <laughs> if we were to design therapy today yeah more the evil moriarty's uh <laughs> lame cousin mm. if we were to design therapy today we'd think about using we'd think about using technology today because therapy is quite laborious uh moriarty compared the seven cups of tea model to alcoholics anonymous an addict receives help from other addicts, then turns to assist others in recovery. So it's a bit like the UCB model applied to therapy, uh, which seems only mm. marginally less stupid and possibly yes damaging. Yes, and yeah. your mental health. You're essentially paying careful attention and practicing e empathy. You're imagining, if I was this person, what would I be thinking and feeling? And try to say that back to the person. The curative thing in therapy is called the therapeutic alliance. It's that process of feeling like the therapist cares about you. And the thing is, right, I'm all for... I'm I'm all for being a kind of um, abolitionist, right? Of things things even like um, like the models of therapy, which have been made like largely to make people sort of okay with their um, okay with being exploited, or like make women being in the 19 sort of 50s and 60s, and, and subsequently be sort of okay with. Um, uh, a family uh, uh, setup that might not be to their advantage, and so on and so on. Yeah, it's, all it's, for, it's coping yeah. skills, which is but, you know it's a mixed bag, sure. But and and the idea that there is something that might be sort of more say commute that might be more bottom up, community oriented, et cetera, et cetera. Great, perfect. But the fact is, because this is a company that has to make money, in this is where sort of the turn is in this company, right? Is that all of that stuff we described just now, in theory, could just be maybe a, an actual tech enabled way to do sort of to try and try and fight alienation a little bit better, right? But this is a reviewer of of uh, the pro of the concept on Hacker News, uh, who wrote this again a few years ago. I tried out seven cups of tea, and I have a few points of feedback. <laughs> a lot of feedback. I've been pissing a lot. <laughs> From what I make of it, it's apparent that the business model is just that of professional listeners, i.e., few listeners that charge for their service and essentially become an online th version of therapists without being therapists. Um, and the and that the. And that the way that you get people onto the revenue side is by constantly reminding them during the free sessions to sign up for the paid sessions. <laughs> <laughs> but that's therapeutic, though, you know. So I, so I guess like my basic question is like, where does the where does like the therapist sort of get involved in this? Only because like, oh, they don't. Because there's like a, there's a distinction between someone who listens and someone who's a therapist, right? Like, well, yeah, you know, in this case, there's a paid listener and a free listener. But so it's a freemium but, model of therapy, but, but there is no therapist. But oh, it's yeah. all like trash sheet during but, time. But, but, according, but according to like the, um, the FAQ or like whatever you read from the, from, from the founder. I wish my therapist would stop making bonus moans at me. 
the 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 founder is like talking about therapy and therapy and like the therapeutic process and everything but the like the foundations of his mod like the business model or whatever um and just like the listener community or whatever you want to call them like that isn't therapy he's talking about something completely different yeah but this this is because yeah he's he's treating it as legally not therapy in like yeah right because that's a a regulated profession you know it's just quite it's just quite interesting to sort of like blur the lines between the two and how like that's just kind of yeah like you know the fact that like these are both very very different things and the relationship between like a therapist and a patient is very different from like you sort of you know a listener and you know a participant in that it's just it's just very interesting like that that delineation is not lying lying back on the couch and being like you know i really i I worry that so much of the stuff that i do is to try and impress (laughs) my distant father yeah and and then i'm like and then i'm like alice why are you in my house (laughs) getting therapy but it's entirely in the disclaimer voice oh i'm just listening it's one of these other things right i mean this was started in 2013 and you know, like so many things, it's just uh, someone looked at the an immense amount of, of, of alienation, uh, the, the, the sort of epidemic of loneliness that was bad then and only got worse now. Um, the, the fact that a lot of like actual accredited, whether or not you give a lot of credit to accreditation or whatever, but let's say premium uh, mental health help has been massively out of reach for most people uh, the, and, and just said, hey, what if we made this into like a freemium game? Hmm. Yeah, and then, your, your therapist has ads. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, where the listeners are, like, or where the professional listeners are not seemingly, like, not trained yeah, well, very the, well. The, therapist, the where, professional listeners um, yeah. may be, well, we can't speak to the quality of the training, obviously, but because yeah. I haven't seen it. But, but that's very interesting about your father. Are, but a quick word from our sponsors, <laughs> NordVPN. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's where, the fact yeah, that they, where you, what you're getting is. Yeah, no, it, it's with all of these things, right? Where. A lot of these startups or these companies or these initiatives, I mean, this does tie directly into what we're going to talk about for the, you know, the other part of the episode, but they actually identify real problems, you know, in society, right? And then they use that identification of a real problem as you know, a, a shield to be like, you know, well, you can't fault us for trying to solve that problem, even though their solutions not only don't solve the problem, oftentimes exacerbate, make those problems even worse, right? I mean, this is the the idea of, you know, identifying the kind of bowling alone problem of increasing social alienation, uh, you know, a, a disconnect from people, a kind of, you know, inability to see your own worth uh, or value or place in society um, and rather than being like wow it really seems like society has a problem instead it's like well it sounds like you have a problem right and because this is a service economy the only solution is for you to be a customer of our service also like one of the things that these types of services have been used for and again like when I was sort of working in an office situation and this type, these types of technologies were kind of being rolled out in the private healthcare plan, um, it was like they were often kind of used as a way of, I mean, they were like, to kind of put it very bluntly, they were used as a way of like mitigating the threats of unionization, which was like at the very beginning stages at the time. Um, so for them, it was, you know, the argument that was being made was like, oh, uh, the issues that you're having, which are mostly in the workplace, they aren't really to do with the workplace. They're to do with like, you know, uh, your own sort of mental health. And if you join this kind of broader community of, you know, in the, I, I can't remember exactly what the sort of the version of therapy that was being rolled out at the time was, but it wasn't that dissimilar from this one. 
Um, but really just the idea of like these technologies are very good at framing it as a individualized problem um, and one that can be kind of like managed through these very like highly surveilled technologies. Uh, and I, I don't know, would I think you it's interesting it gets to look even back worse now. than that. So be so you're <clears throat> no, I mean absolutely you're, you're right does, yeah. to identify that these things are often used as a kind of employee fringe benefit, right? But because it's not a therapist mm. legally, there is no uh, doctor patient confidentiality and there have been cases in the u.s of these services sharing transcripts of of the conversations that people have had with these listeners with their bosses and those transcripts are then used against the employees uh, in the case of like sexual harassment uh uh, lawsuits and so on to Mm. uh, they're you know used by bosses to defend themselves like so i mean it it, Mm. at every turn it uh this future gets it's way trashier than you think it does. <laughs> That's right. I wish these people would stop posting transcripts of my therapy online with the caption, look at this gay person. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you wish your boss would stop doing that? But uh, you're, yeah, you're- my boss, you. Please stop doing that, Riley. <laughs> Milo, I will not stop. Look, if you're in my Twitter circle, then that's what you get to see. I said those things about you in confidence. Yeah. And, by, yeah, and by people, you mean your therapist that has a TikTok account. Uh, I want to just quickly, quickly also say that we... I, we have, I have no idea if um, if Seven Cups does does any of that uh, stuff. Legally, about, um, et yeah, legally, cetera. don't know. Oh, but legally, this is not therapy. It is ge- it is a general problem with the area. Allegedly, yeah. they don't do this. Yeah. However, it's yeah. worrying that they could if they wanted to, possibly. And the fact uh, that it's so, plausible really says a lot about society, if you think about it. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I'm going to move on a little bit to uh, our main our main topic, the main the main show of the day, uh, which is what we. Um, what we what we talked about at the very beginning, right? We were going to talk about uh, microcredit fintech and this tool of um, so a tool of quote unquote development economics, but in fact, tool of uh, you might say uh, colonialist domination. Uh, once again, returning to the imperial core. Um, so this. No, oh, I hate when it does that. It's annoying. Oh. That's where that's where I live. <laughs> yeah, yeah hey. we're officially turning Kent into a satanic zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get that out of here. Get that mess out of here. That's where I keep all my stuff. Uh, so, um, the uh, um, excuse me, where what do we have here? Kristalina uh, Georgieva, the World Bank CEO, uh, has basic has said in the FT. Uh, you step in the main entrance entrance here at the World Bank, and it says, "Our dream is a world free of poverty." That's the first thing that hits you. And I really think we're not going to eradicate, eradicate poverty unless we have, prepare the sirens, financial inclusion. Mm. Because you have good finance, she said, bad finance and ugly finance. Those are the three types. We've, right, okay. We've talked about financial inclusion before in the context of uh, Southern Africa and getting a bunch of people bank accounts who didn't have bank accounts and getting them into these formal financial networks. And it was terrible. We've also talked about financial inclusion uh, with Brett Scott about how the concept very frequently is not about getting people more able to participate in the economy, but getting people sort of hyper-exploited by, um, say, card issuers, banks, etc. So she goes on. Getting more marks in the system. You have good finance, bad finance, and ugly finance. You need to make sure it serves citizens and small and medium enterprises, and not just the banker, the wealthy, or the chosen few. We will review how well that went. Yeah, look, some people, <laughs> some people are born finance, some people achieve finance, and some people have finance thrust upon them, which I imagine is what this is going to be about. <laughs> the, the, that was a famous saying from uh, one Andrew Tate. Yeah. That's uh, right, so yeah. 
and she, <laughs> she says, the case of M-Pesa, the f- a mobile phone uh, money transfer system launched in Kenya in 2007 that no development economist can shut the fuck up about, is also cited as a pioneering financial inclusion instrument. instrument. And Georgieva has led what is known to be the African Digital Moonshot, a $25 billion investment in digital transformation between now and 2030. What I like about technology, here's the, a fun line, and where this is our entry into the issue, is that it starts by asking a question and is trying to mm. find a solution to a problem. How can I solve this? What I like about technology is that it starts by asking a question, which is, what is technology? <laughs> <Yeah>. Webster's <laughs> It's very recursive yeah. in that way. Mm. Uh, how can I solve it with limited costs and then see if it can be scaled up? So, Jathan, this is kind of our, our table setting here, right? We're still really believing in fintech and fintech's um, ugly older cousin microfinance that's no longer quite as popular, but that seems quite similar, no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a, a, a red, you know, thick line that draws through all of these things. And so, I, I mean, there, there, there's a reason why there's all these linkages and why, you know, every time you said financial con- uh, inclusion, not only did the klaxons go off, but, you know, somebody jumped in and said, well, didn't we talk about financial inclusion here or here or here? It's because this is absolutely a theme. This is a, 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 a becoming a really kind of core ideological principle of global financial capitalist hegemony uh, is that this idea of financial inclusion. It's it's a really, I mean, it's a brilliant turn of phrase, right? Because it, it on its face, who can be against financial inclusion? And because it has a lot of this moral normative weight behind it, because it kind of has you assume that it's doing good things in the world, helping people. It's often tied to things like, you know, lifting people out of poverty. You know, it's the bootstraps by which people can pull themselves up with and so on that it, it creates a really nice uh, kind of shroud to then allow a lot of really awful, exploitative, extractive shit to go on under this, uh, this, this kind of shroud of financial inclusion. Mm. The way that it ordinarily works, just a sort of a history of the of the idea, what it sort of intends to be, right, is generally, uh, if we're talking about financial inclusion, we're also talking about stuff like access to credit or microfinance, and that sort of morphed into financial technology. It's all kind of the same thing, though, which is this idea that people in the global south are poor because of poor institutions and bad information. That is to say... That um, you know, let's say uh, like sub-Saharan Africa, for example, is teeming with potential entrepreneurs and uh, 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 and consumers, but because no, because they're not good credit risks, like because for example they don't have a bank account and they don't have all of these um, uh, all all of this sort of information that a bank can make a decision on, obviously they can't be loaned any money, and sort of this um, and so what we have is we have this this theory right, this Schumpeterian model right, that that the way that people do well. That the way that economies are prosperous is nothing to do with the linen coat th- coat thing, but rather that there are entrepreneurs out there who are like heroic individuals with i. Who, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not about production. It's about mindset. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Who can combine ideas, raw materials, and bank credit? And that was like what Schumpeter thinks are needed to like do creative destruction. All of these people don't have access to Andrew Tate videos, <laughs> yeah. for example, and make themselves and everyone else better off uh, by yeah inventing something. And so the microfinance says, well, wait a minute. The idea behind microfinance is, uh, well, hang on a sec. And this comes out in the 70s. And that's it's pretty, it's, it's sort of the ideas of this begin in the 70s. Um, is that, well, wait a minute. 
what we can do is we can give someone a loan of like $100 or like 75 pounds or whatever. They can use that to buy a sewing machine, to buy uh, a few goats and so on and so on. A line of cocaine for inspiration. Yeah. And then <laughs> a case of sparkling water. And then what they can do with that is then they can start, say, doing doing economic activity. And then they can all of a sudden this uh, this maybe like subsistence small holding farmer um, has a few more things that they can do to generate more money. More money will flow in and so on and so on. This is like basically the theory. And one of the interesting things I think as well is that um, uh, is that a lot of this is a lot of this transformation was coming on the heels of an energy crisis, which was basically the thing that kind of as, as the develop as the sort of formally colonized world was emerging from being colonized. A lot of what really knocked it off course in terms of like say you know development. Uh, as, as you might call it, was the um, 1970s energy crisis, uh, which created this, um, which basically meant that they had to all of a sudden borrow at uh, huge at huge uh, 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 rates on the global on, on global markets, and then sort of fucked with uh, those government finances. I, it's a very 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 complicated uh, story as to how um, the West underdeveloped the global South, but that's one of the big things that happened. And so just keep in your mind. Right, that one of the re- one of the sort mm. of the neoliberal term in development economics was in part a response to a, an energy and financial crisis. So importantly, it's not past tense either. How the West has unde- underdeveloped or undeveloped the global South. It's a it's it's a gerund. It's continuing how they continue undeveloping the the global South. Right, and and you're exactly right. I mean, there's a lot of complexity in terms of an energy crisis, financial crisis, but I think there's also quite simple dynamic of Tying it back to the colonial power of around this time as well, there was a lot of decolonization happening where, you know, countries in the global south were coming formally, at least, out from under the yoke of their European dominators. Uh, But at the same time, you know, they have been held essentially as chattel states to these European countries, not allowed to. Uh, be given any of the infrastructure, resources, development needed to actually stand on their own once they're let you know let free. You know, they're forty acres and a meal of reparations. And so, when these uh, European countries essentially do capital flight out of the global south, where they say, "You want your freedom? Well, fine, fuck you. We're taking all our capital as well." And then, how do you like your freedom, right? And now, when all those countries in the global south south start collapsing because they don't have any infrastructure to support themselves and Britain and France and you know other, and Germany and other countries uh, you know kind of took the the scaffolding away uh, and and then you know come back a couple decades later a decade later and say wow uh, really shit shitty country you got here uh but how did why did you ruin it like this you know it's uh that that's so awful of you to do i mean i guess since we're so beneficent we will give you some capital to help uh to help do some development here but you then have to you know allow our corporations to be the ones that own everything our banks to be the ones that own all the capital lines and so on and also you have to pay it back by the way uh, yeah, so and pay this, it back yeah. with uh, usurious interest rates. <laughs> so basically, this is this is the basic idea of how microfinance is and was supposed to work, and now it's just been reskinned as fintech, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's a it's 
as the tech crowd often does, is they're, they're the Johnny-come-latelys to an already existing kind of system of oppression, exploitation, domination, extraction, and so on. And they say, wow, why haven't we got a taste of this yet? Uh, and, and, you know, but they, they woo and, and seduce people like the World Bank and the IMF with their promise of, we can do this but better because we're doing it with digital Right. We're doing it with crypto. We're doing it with technology. And so, yo, that's the, that's why all of these, uh, financial inclusion schemes, uh, have not been working is because all of you are policy wonks. You've been thinking about this in terms of policies, right? Instead, you got to think about these things in terms of technologies and then they'll actually work. Showing up at the World Bank with my PowerPoint presentation, which is just one slide and it said people in global south not go going on computer and I'm yeah. given an eight minute standing <laughs> ovation. <laughs> not making TikTok. Why not make TikTok? Milo, you you joke, but like that's exactly what these people do. And then they're given billions and billions of dollars by the World Bank and the authority to go and get all those people on computer. Exactly. Yeah. We need a hype house in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The problem is, is that, you know, the UK is advanced because computer says no. Uh, you know, mm. countries in Africa are, are, are left behind because they don't even have a computer to say no. There are not yeah. enough people in Congo with uh, email jobs. And that's what you need. You need every, everyone needs to have an email job. Right. So, um, you know, so, for example, you know, something like M-Pesa, right, um, you know, you can. It's it's a it's a just. It starts as a sort of way for Kenyans to bank by phone, but then as more and more features get added onto it, all of a sudden you're getting people, for example, overdrafts. And then what you're doing is you're you're expo. And it's not. And the idea isn't oh people can't be trusted with debt. It's more like when you when when you basically force um force people in or in precarious financial positions into a situation where they have credit you will almost inevitably force quite a few of them into a situation where they then have to deal with uh w- with high interest rates in the case of some micro lenders a lot of say practices of dubious ethics uh to get that money back and so on and so on yeah and most of all you you, you know that as a financial operator you know that's what you're doing because you have to yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's not something that you can do by accident. Sending Kenyan Dave Courtney around to your house. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, I'm not going to do the voice. I quickly want to talk about M-Pesa um, because there's a there's a lot going on here. So M-Pesa was founded in 2006 uh, and launched by uh, founded and launched by Safaricom, uh, which is which is now East Africa's largest corporation. It's a telecom monopoly uh, and financial service provider. And you're exactly right. M-Pesa is a mobile to mobile money transfer platform. Importantly, it's not a bank. They people do not have formally, officially do not have bank accounts with M-Pesa or with Safaricom. It is God, merely where have I heard an, this story before. <laughs> it is merely an intermediary that facilitates the transfer of payments, which means they are not regulated like a bank. Uh, they have they were given by the Central Bank of Kenya. So Safaricom is a Kenyan company, and it's essentially the reason why uh, Kenya is known as Africa's quote unquote Silicon Savannah uh, is because. 
because of the the, the rapid rise of uh, com- of companies like so- Safaricom. But uh, the Central Bank of Kenya permitted but did not regulate uh, the telecom's entrance into the financial sector. They officially gave it a letter of no objection. Um, and because it was meant to just be a payment transfer system, but, but this is exactly where the kind of monopolization combined with unregulation leads to all of the famously uh, amazing and awesome outcomes that that we're so familiar with and and so it is you're exactly right uh Riley that Safaricom makes huge amounts of money marketing itself as doing equity and financial inclusion and these kinds of things and they did actually get a lot of unbanked people onto you know with profiles on this system that allows for really easy transfer of money in a way that was not as easy in an all cash society however safaricom because they're not a bank and because you don't have a bank account they're just an intermediary they charge really high uh, facilitation fees which would be interest if they were counted as interest rates would be illegally high interest rates and you're exactly right through that they've also then rolled out all these other extremely lucrative products um, to help facilitate other things they have their own loan system now called mshori uh, that so that so you can get these micro loans directly through your mpesa account uh, and then they also have a uh, an overdraft uh, product called Feliza. So when you overdraft your M-Pesa account, then Safaricom will essentially loan you some other, some extra money to cover that overdraft, but of course at a really high facilitation fee rate. And so they've created this whole ecosystem of financial products that are not regulated as banking products, but act essentially as that. And, and the idea then that it is very important for poverty alleviation to essentially trap people in this system seems to me to be uh, perverse until you remember what the World Bank and IMF really are. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, this is what financial inclusion means. It means, uh, you, you know... You're not locked in here with me, right? Like, uh, I'm locked in here with you or whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's, that's what it means is it's not, let's get people into the financial system so they can lift themselves out of poverty and do all this, you know, economic fairy tale bullshit. It means let's get people into the financial system so that the banks and telecoms have more people that they can uh, enclose, trap, exploit, and extract at every single turn, and essentially control. Right? Con- uh, I, control is the operative word here. It's find. It's control via inclusion. You're complaining about your credit card debt, and yet there's children in Africa who would love to have credit card debt. <laughs> so, this is from an article actually you sent me, Jathan, in Boston Review by Kevin Donovan and Emma Park, entitled "Perpetual Debt in Silicon Savannah," and I thought it's got a very um, it has a very, very uh, sort of powerful paragraph that I wanted to read. This is in the context of talking about Tala and Branch. And I believe we've actually spoken about at least one of those um, apps before, just coincidentally. Um, this is one of the... Th- but this is one of the... Um, Tala was the company that believed all data is credit data. So they're the ones that will say, well, we're going to decide how much of a loan to give you based on if you have last names for people in your phone, right? They, so, they yeah. hoover up all your data. Rising signs, stuff like that. And so this is, a, um, this is a paragraph from that article. 
Crucial to the fintech business model is an endless stream of nudges, exhortations, and incitements to borrow. Unsolicited text messages interrupt people throughout the day, enticing those in need to borrow at extortionate rates. Many pointed to the high rates of borrowing on weekend nights as evidence that loans are marketed and taken in moments of inebriated revelry. Those at at default risk receive just as much hectoring. Uh, A University of Nairobi graduate told us how embarrassing it is to be in a meeting or job interview and have repayment reminders pop up on your screen. It's so embarrassing, uh, they said. They text you all the time and you get stressed. Another one of these apps, Ocash, took this logic of stigmatization even further, harvesting users' contacts and calling bosses, parents, and friends to shame defaulters into repaying. And this is Oof. this is exactly how microcredit works in places like Latin America and India, where it was you know marketed as this uh, this this you know huge thing that pulled so many people out of poverty. It was a system literally designed to use social shaming as a tool of uh, of, of debt collection. And and this is I think this is where it's worth it to sort of pull this. Yeah, because it was because it, it was talking about countries that had a deficit of Dave Courtney's. <laughs> well, it's also your talk- mum's quite disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is uh, this is I think is worth sort of pulling this up, but right about reminding ourselves what this whole thing, this neoliberal approach to poverty alleviation, was supposed to be based on all of these insane ideas. Right, this is from a capsule biography of Muhammad Yunus and when he came, how he came up with the idea in the 1970s. Began in 1976, when uh, Yunus saw basket weavers living in poverty despite their skills. Considered poor credit risks, these artisans were forced to borrow money at, at, at usurious interest rates. So from his own pockets, Yunus made a loan to a group of women who repaid the funds and for the first time managed to make a profit net of interest. He then realized that by means of small loans and financial services, he could help the poor free themselves from poverty. Then... And this is what Yunus then wrote in 2011, looking back on when things went bad in 2005. Commercialization has been a terrible wrong turn for microfinance, and it indicates a worrying mission drift in the motivation of those lending to the poor. Poverty should be eradicated. This should not be seen as a money-making opportunity, which is a bizarre thing to say for a fundamentally neoliberal mission, right? Which is that I cannot believe that my commercial solution to poverty was tainted by commercialization. Yeah, how how come my plan to get everybody banked made people start acting like banks? Yeah, and so I mean, it's um, and, and when we talk about and, and so many uh, cases of talking about using, say, fintech to uh, do this same activity, right? This same activity as microfinance fall into that same trap because really, what you're do- is just as microfinance, it's just debt. It's just debt. Whether you call it microfinance or not, you're getting someone into debt. Uh, well, you're, if it's fintech, you're just getting someone into debt with computer. And, you know, and the whole thing was like, well, no, it's not just, it's not like bad debt, like people in the global north have, which you get by being profligate and spending on your credit card, or that is, um, get, uh, yeah. no, well, I mean, this, this was part of the th- yeah. same thing as the social shaming. The other end of that was every motherfucker who got a, a you know, a Nobel Prize in economics for some form of micro lending did so on the basis that, like, it was this great sort of community supportive sort yeah. of network. But it's, it's um, all just debt. And it's yeah, so, strangely. So, like, so like the underpinning underpinning thinking about it is that like the fintechs is different because instead of giving instead of like donate uh, giving out the loans on your bad screen, you're actually giving out loans on your good screen. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and the thing is, right, it, 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 um, it, it, is that we all call, we call it the same thing. We, we we call it different things, but it is the same thing. Uh, it's sort of morally in a different category to uh, sort of global north debt, even though again it's all debt. And and the reason it's morally in a different category to global north debt is that there is some imaginary 
that the world is full of these Horatio Algers who just need to be given some bank credit. And then unlike the sort of, you know, feckless workers of the global north, people in the global south are going to use that to dutifully become and so on. But the evidence shows that, again, if you give people access to, to credit, what they'll tend to do is what most people do with credit on a daily basis, which is provide for the necessities of life. So essentially, what has happened is that a those yeah. bastards, those <laughs> yeah, they're buying, they're buying treats for themselves like bread. And so this is and so basically, this is from Bloomberg. Um, over fifty billion dollars of committed funds in twenty twenty into microlending. They're still doing fucking lending as poverty alleviation. Um, uh, show that the it, the infusion of capital uh, has continued despite now annualized interest rates. And then this is my editorial, not from Bloomberg. Often just for like you know, doing things to not die or like to pay for a wedding or whatever, uh, and not for something that's going to then make you a like good performing uh, credit risk, like starting a business or whatever. Uh, the infusion of capital has continued despite annualized interest rates that can cap 100% and aggressive debt collection tactics that have left some borrowers homeless. So it's not even that like after this entire mode of development was discredited, um, that it, that people stopped doing it. It, it, they're doing it more than ever, and it's still being hailed by the World Bank as this great thing. Even though, again, what we're doing is essentially loan sharking people for um, for for their daily necessities. Yeah, because I mean, at some point they they have to say the quiet part loud, which is that they don't actually think that this is going to solve uh, poverty or anything like that. That they that they know, uh, you know, it's not only that they only have one hammer, and so they're going to keep you know hitting that nail. Um, but they also, I think, they know deep down that this is a tool of financial hegemony more than it is a tool of financial inclusion, and they're ideologically uh, like like zealots and extremists and dedicated to this. This idea of, you know, through banking, through capital, all things is possible, right? And that's essentially what microcredit is cast as, is as a form of a redistribution of capital to the proletariat, not even the proletariat, the peasantry, right? We're getting third worldism on this. Uh, but of course, that's not how it actually happens at all. It's, you know, the, the stories of entrepreneurship are bullshit. For the most part, what we find is it's, it's used for, as you were talking about, Riley, quote unquote, uh, consumption smoothing, right? Which is that like buying the everyday necessities of life, not starting some new business that's going to turn you into a, a millionaire billionaire and if the world bank and imf really actually have to uh in order to deal with these contradictions it won't be long until the imf and world bank officially partners with klarna and afterpay to bring financial inclusion and microcredit to the uk right like this is the next step if they're going to actually live up to their ideology the people in the democratic uh, republic of congo deserve pretty little thing they need the new Molly May collection. They need Boohoo Man. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you wonder, right. well, okay, we've, a lot of these uh, loans are sort of, are issued to the World Bank, a lot of donor countries as well. But a lot of the lending also comes from commercial banks and so-called impact investors. Uh, so Citigroup lent over a billion themselves. Um, this is also from Bloomberg. Uh, Sumitomo Mitsui Financial in Japan has invested multi-billions in various Asian firms. And then uh, JP Morgan uh, is, in 2019, sold uh, $175 million in collateralized um, microfinance obligations. So we're still doing collateralized debt. 
it's just uh yeah you know not obviously at any kind of the same scale as the last time we sort of heard those words but you know these things are ordinary financial instruments but that we expect because of some kind of moral sheen they will act in some different way the result will somehow be different yeah. than when we do the same thing here it's very funny to be like a it's finance beautiful. guy and you're like, yeah, I'm long on Kenyan basket weavers. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bunch of those in my portfolio. <laughs> it's beautiful. I wanted, That's actually a perfect segue. I wanted to reference, so there's a, a really great article that came out recently called Subprime Empire. Um, it's by a friend of mine, uh, Carly Schuster uh, and Sohini Carr, both of whom are uh, anthropologists who do these really in-depth ethnographies of microcredit, uh, Carly in Paraguay uh, and South America and Sohini in India. Um, and the, this essay on subprime empire links, I mean, it just beautifully ties in all the things that we're talking about. I just want to quickly read a short paragraph here where they say, quote, Financial players on Wall Street may well have an interest in setting their new financial creations loose in a sandbox kept well apart from global pools of capital. In fact, our fieldwork among regulators and fund managers reveals the appeal of experimenting with fintech in markets that are understood to be separate from the global mainstream. However, accumulation also takes place through certain processes of inclusion. Subprime empire, then, is a way to understand not only how the act of inclusion of bringing the poor into the circuits of finance has become a normalized practice, but also that it is central to capitalist experimentation and expansion. So in other words, when we talk about like JP Morgan Chase and these big Wall Street banks getting into this, this is a case of yet again, capitalist experimentation with untested, unregulated innovation in the global South so that they can work out the kinks, figure out how, how to make it maximally exploitative and stable and then and then bring it home to the imperial core with a different marketing a different packaging but the same oh, exact come, there's no way that there would be some kind of <laughs> widespread i don't know what you call it buy now pay eventually maybe we could think of something a little yeah, more yeah, of a zippy yeah, yeah, yeah. for that yeah, again as 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 we've said the imperial core is that's where I live. Nothing mm-hmm. bad can happen um, there. Yeah, so what essentially we're talking about, and you know, this is also especially relevant to the UK. I mean, as um, if you want to talk about, um, uh, a, let's say, a country that is very quickly being described as becoming an emerging market economy, largely connected to our high inflation compared with mm. uh, um, paradoxically GDP shrinkage, which mm. it, that shouldn't do that, just so you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, no, I hate when my GDP is shrinkage. I'm, I'm a GDP shower, not yeah. grower. Uh, yeah, but also, like, <laughs> let's say uh, British um, consumers now with record amounts of credit card debt since 2005 as of this month. And, um, and already, you know, these, these uh, let's say, tools of consumption smoothing that are kind of just to the side of what you might call debt properly understood are in fact very quickly making their way back to the imperial core right yeah and and, in every single way i mean it's not you know buy now pay later is something i talk incessantly about because no one else seems to i mean you know trash future and tmk are actually fairly unique in the the landscape in terms of the amount of attention that our shows have given to critically talking about and understanding and recognizing that this thing is not 
normal and it's not old. It's like a really weird new thing that suddenly became、mm. totalizing and is expanding. It's no longer that you use Klarna to buy a new pair of shoes or a new dress because it's like it's helping you smooth the payments of a luxury item. You know, I was just,、uh, I, I spoke to a reporter from the New York Times recently as quoted in a really good piece that came out talking about how buy now, pay later has been moving very rapidly into the groceries sector. Right, so it's like not where you want that to move. <laughs> no, you don't want Klarna talking about this. <laughs> well, I'm very, look, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very thankful that we don't have、uh, a prime minister in the UK who.、Uh, Who actually who who、uh, isn't like an evangelizer for these、mm. types of apps and services? She recognizes yeah, the problem、absolutely. of、uh, the high end consumer debt、uh, incentivized by、uh, tech companies, and、uh, she has put a stop to it on week two of Liz Truss's premiership. She、How、likes a straightforward、right、now. buy now pay now pork market. <laughs> you see the pork, you buy the pork. <laughs>、well, look, I, I like buy now pay later because I always want to like have the latest loaf of bread.、Uh, so. You,、um, you want to go on be real, flexing your new bread. bread. New, new get, loaf just get, get dropped. That, get, Unboxing of the new that, loaf. Like, get that seeded bloomer.、Yeah. Um, uh, so rare, rare edition. This is a quote from、uh, from that article you talked about in the New York Times. <laughs>、uh, Josh Roberts didn't think twice about taking out a loan to pay. How come like people who take out loans to pay groceries are always called like Josh Roberts, and people who start like insane startups are are, are called like you know like like Cortland Cronk or whatever? Like what is with that? Yeah, Ma- Maximilian yeah, from yeah. Quink. Like, what, what's yeah, Alpha,、sure. Alpha and Beta names? Yeah, Gle- Glenn Tobias Mo- Gruel Christ. Like, like Glenn Moriarty has never <laughs> taken out a loan to buy a carrot, and yet、mm. here is fucking <laughs> no. Glenn Moriarty is buying the latest Hovis collab with your <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the Supreme Bloomer. Yeah, so Josh Roberts didn't think twice about taking out a loan to pay for groceries. It was early in the pandemic, and he was making sixteen fifty an hour working in Cincinnati. We were just not making enough to live, he said. So we started buying groceries online using a virtual card from Klarna. Soon, Mr. Roberts was spending beyond his means on food.、Uh, he already had about eleven thousand in student debt, another two thousand in unpaid medical bills. And this is the quote. This is the quote. I just yes, something、sir. in me just revolts at the idea of spending too much, like living beyond your means in relation to food, when you're not buying like fucking so, foie yeah, gras. Yeah, 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 not living as like a、know? dissolute aristocrat. Yeah. yeah. Imagine Ooh, exactly. Exactly. Is having three meals a day. <laughs> my, my big,、yeah. my big fucking squeezy ketchup bottle full、mm. of laudanum or whatever. That's living beyond your means in terms of food. Buying. We've like, had to cut down to one, two autoland a day. <laughs> I can't even afford the handkerchiefs anymore. I'll be honest with you. But buying the kind of food that like would not give you gout. Immediately from eating it, that that's not like living beyond your means. That should be means that everyone should have. More than twice a week is living beyond so, your means. I start drowning them in vodka. <laughs> This is what Josh Roberts said. <laughs> I don't want to go in debt for a carrot, but you've got to do what you've got to do. Oh, that's. Yeah, that's I, I like that he's、cool. kind of framed、yeah. that in an almost inspirational way. Like you know, kind of、uh, bad times、mm. create strong men. Yeah,、know? and and so you know, I mean. I, I, <laughs> Expensive、yeah. carrots create expensive <laughs> carrots create、dudes. wealthy capitalists,、um, and so you know I think the、yeah. idea that this this these things these co- this calling debt something else it's worked for、uh, companies with companies like Greensill,、uh, it's worked for、uh, sort of rebranding development aid to be more sort of palatable in the sort of、uh, hyper financialized neoliberal world, and you know the idea of 
um, easy access uh, easy access loans, basically, constantly reminding you to get them that you end up spending on the necessities of your life is ha- is now happening here. And I mean, if you want to know, it's not to end it on a bit of a dark note, but like, if you want to know one of the reasons that microfinance more or less hit a moment of crisis in the early in the early 2010s, it's because there was a raft of suicides in Andhra Pradesh related to unpayable microfinance debt that was being collected incredibly aggressively in some cases by the same organizations that originally had a very philanthropic bent but that were just loan sharks the whole time right yeah it's the kind of like yeah. the fertilizer yeah, exactly. well, right. if you'd like right. to end it on a slightly yeah, lighter note the carrot thing just reminded me of an of an aiden jones story from years ago about how he's having sex with a girl and she's like i want you to shove something up my ass and so he goes and like looks in the i can't remember if it was at his house or her house but he goes and looks he's like looking for something and like the only thing he could find is a carrot well how did he have so to go in debt to get he it uses, no, he uses the carrot they like lube it up whatever i, I don't know they, they use the carrot it's fine and then um and then he was telling this story to someone and they said did you put it back uh, these carrot prices <laughs> you gotta put the ass carrot back that's a double use carrot you, look, you peel it before you eat it it's fine i love uh, that's i, I in, in some sort of it, it, i'm just seeing a, a world six months later where like a former tory mp goes on good morning britain to be like you can put the ass you can wash the ass carrot and then use it and then martin lewis just combusts <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's how he's gonna go like full Mishima mode. Like yeah. some like Edwina Curry's gonna like bring a courgette <laughs> and be like, this could be used for uh yeah, you, you yeah. can use this for a lovely meal and a and a great night. Martin <laughs> you know, Lewis like, rubbing his temples, going, You can't put a <laughs> carrot in your ass, it's not got a flared base. <laughs> you can't have sex before dinner, that doesn't <laughs> Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna like go berserk yeah, he's mode by the crazy. end of this year. And anyway, I support him. Anyway, look, I, I think that's I was racking my brain trying to come up with a flared base joke, and Milo just came in with way better than I could do. That's why he's the professional, <laughs> yeah. folks. Uh, anyway, look, um, I think that that's sort of for me. That's like the story. Look, this is—is is this the last time we're going to talk about uh, microfinance? It's not the first time. It won't be the last time. Probably not even the last time with Jathan. Uh, but um, <laughs> I think it's an—it's an interesting story, and one that uh, which is that of how this came about, what it meant, what it was supposed to do, what it became. The consequences of it and the echoes you can see in in this sort of in this thing, this alternative finance, this fintech inclusion, whatever you want to call it, making debt easier, easier, more accessible, uh, cheaper, and le- and sometimes re- less regulated, creeping back into the imperial core uh, from the global south. It's why these things mm. are. Um, it's not that it's better in the global south; it's bad there and it's bad here. Um, it's just that it's the kinds of things that. Yeah. Yeah, did you know? Did you know beds. that for men yeah, who are yeah. uh, five foot six and below, it's actually normal finance? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's, it's, it's normal finance. Um, and I, so, yeah. if you if you want to hear my dark prophecy, though, I know we just ended on a fun note, but I this is TM. I'm I'm coming from TMK where we never end on a fun note. Um, if you want to hear my dark prophecy, my my suspect is that in the very near future, um, the buy now pay later companies will lobby governments to make buy now pay later debt exempt from bankruptcy laws in the way that like in the u.s student loans are exempt from bankruptcy laws uh because so many people will have so much 
of this microcredit debt in the in 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 you know seemingly wealthy countries um, that they'll be trying to escape through bankruptcy. I foresee, and there's so much lobbying by these tech companies now, and you know, uh, with the government, that I, I suspect in the near future we will at least see an an, uh, an attempt to make your buy now pay later debt exempt from any any uh, debt relief. I'd like uh, to issue uh, another uh, dark prophecy. I agree with that one, uh, but and that one's let's say the. Dark dark prophecy on the discharging the debt side. I'd like to make a dark prophecy on the issuing the debt side, which is that at some point, a state government, probably Kansas, uh, or just the UK government, is going to include uh, micro-lending in its get-through-the-cost-of-living-crisis official advice, and may even may even end up uh, creating some kind of uh, government scheme where it uses uh, its own money to try to crowd in uh, private finance into more of the micro lending sector. You're not suggesting that Liz Truss would get involved in some kind of cockamamie scheme to help people with a cost of living crisis that only makes it worse. I mean, come on. I mean, look, we've we've experienced two weeks of her of her premiership, and boy, all I can say is, yeah, all yeah, I yeah, can say is, That's based on what we've all experienced, you can draw your own conclusions. Matt Hancock, Foreign Secretary. I mean, stellar appointment. Oh, God, I wish. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Imagine Matt Hancock in a meeting with Vladimir Putin. Just imagine Matt Hancock. You must imagine Matt Hancock happy because you you can't imagine imagine otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I may disagree with him on many things, but that man knows how to do a judo throw very well. Yeah. So, all that being said, Vladimir Putin or Matt Hancock? Who can can (laughs) say both of them? Mm, (laughs) Or Mark Zuckerberg. All that being said, I'd like to say. uh, everyone listening to this, you should check out This Machine Kills. Unless, of course, Jathan has crossed me in the last two weeks, in which case you shouldn't. Uh, but, it, uh, but no, you, you very much should check out This Machine Kills. It's a fantastic show. Um, and uh, Jathan, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. Always a joy. And uh, to you also back there in podcast land, I was talking to you, then Jathan, now you again, uh, is to remind you that Keep we... Up. We have a $5 uh, a month Patreon. There is a second episode every week. That's right. Uh, so you can sign up to that to get those. And you can buy now, pay later that's at the end the of the month. Less than the price of a carrot. Uh, no, that's actually not strictly true. You will be charging you sign up. Oh, I think that's not strictly true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Only speaking, you, you will be charging yeah, you So you subscribe now and you pay later. Yeah, you subscribe now and then you pay moments later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> buy, yeah now, that's buy, buy now, pay immediately. immediately. Yeah. Yeah, that's our new our new. However, if you impesa yeah. me three dollars a month, I will send you the episodes. I will do arbitrage <laughs> on the Trash Future page. Yeah, but you, it does have to be via impesa. Uh, Jathan's not interested that's in getting right. anything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, we will see you all uh, on the bonus episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.